Introduction From Aphrodite's Island to a Divided Outpost In the summer of 2018 I decided to visit Cyprus, the large island tucked up in the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea. Cyprus is an island state with a historically mixed population of Greeks and Turks, plus other smaller minorities. In ancient times, the island was strongly associated with the love goddess Aphrodite, known to the Romans as Venus, who allegedly rose out of the foam of the sea at a point on the southwest coast of Cyprus officially known as Petra to Romeo, a later, Christian name. Cyprus passed from the ancient Greeks to the Roman Empire. After the fall of the city of Rome itself to the Goths, Cyprus remained part of the Eastern Roman Empire headquartered in Constantinople, the empire later dubbed Byzantine though nobody called it that at the time. In ancient times, and for as long as the mainland was controlled by the Roman and Eastern Roman empires, Cyprus was at the heart of things. To its east lay the fabled city of Antioch, third most important city in the ancient Roman Empire, while to its south lay Alexandria, the second most important imperial city. The termina of the Silk Road to China included Antioch and some towns to its north, on the coast of what's now Turkey. Some very important ancient cities were located on Cyprus itself. You can still visit their ruins, which include an impressive ancient amphitheatre, one of those half-round theatres for which the ancient world is known. For, in addition to being one of the crossroads of the ancient world, Cyprus was also quite independently wealthy, above all because of its copper mines, after which the island is named. I'll have more to say about these in Chapter 2. So, basically, the ancient times were the island's golden age. With the coming of Islam out of Arabia, and the Turks out of Central Asia, Cyprus stopped being a crossroads of the world and became a frontier outpost instead. An outpost of Western, Greek, Christendom against perceived Eastern adversaries whether these were Muslims, Turks, or, in later centuries even, the Russians and Soviets. Not surprisingly, the island declined in commercial and cultural terms, and perhaps even in population as cities and amphitheaters gave way to castles and forts and military bases. This transformation to a frontier outpost began in earnest when, in the Middle Ages, Cyprus became a crusader kingdom. This happened when the crusading King Richard I of England took possession of the mostly Christian island in 1191. Richard didn't want to be tied up ruling Cyprus. He was King of England, after all. So handed power to the legendary or, rather, notorious Knights Templar who soon fell to massacring the local population. This happened quite a lot during the Crusades. Richard himself was responsible for a particularly notorious massacre at Acre, or Air Iade, in the same year. Fortunately for the Cypriots, Richard soon re-delegated his authority to a more reasonable subordinate named Guy de Lusignon. Guy and his descendants ruled Cyprus as local monarchs for almost the next 300 years. In 1489 the last of the Lusignan dynasty sold Cyprus to the Republic of Venice. In those days, Venice wasn't just a touristy city in Italy. It was a major sea power that controlled just about all of the islands that lie off the coast of modern-day Greece and Turkey. Old-time Venice even possessed some of the more strategic peninsulas and headlands on the actual mainland of Greece and Turkey as well. Venice invested a great deal of money into strengthening Cyprus's defences. To this day the island's tourists marvel at massive forts, city walls and bastions, many of which bear Italian names and have the winged lion of Venice carved into them. Even the capital, Nicosia, was fortified against the surrounding countryside. It was a far cry from the days of Greek theatres and the Roman peace. The Venetians thought that these forts could see off any ordinary attack, 
but they had underestimated Ottoman Turkey's determination to capture the island. Geographically, Cyprus was in Turkey's armpit, a fact perceived as irritating by the Turks. In 1570, 200,000 Turkish marines landed on the beaches of Cyprus. Such an invasion would have been impressive in the middle of World War II. It was nothing short of spectacular by the standards of those days. The Venetians held out for a long time, but were eventually overcome by the Turks, who boasted of having cut off one of Venice's arms. They said that this arm would never grow back. After its conquest, the island was ruled by the Ottomans for more than 300 years. All the same, for much of this time bits were steadily falling off the Ottoman Empire, which had at one time stretched almost, but not quite, as far as Vienna in Central Europe and Kiev in the Ukraine. In a single year, 1878, Turkey surrendered the Balkan province of Bosnia-Herzegovina to the Austrians and Cyprus to the United Kingdom. A book published in 1878 celebrated the latest addition to the British Empire. The cover is decorated with an image of Aphrodite, the island's patron goddess of ancient times. The book claimed that Cyprus had been neglected under the Ottomans and that British rule would be better for the natives. However, the British takeover was really based on another consideration which was, that Cyprus offered safe harbours for the Royal Navy in the eastern Mediterranean. These were important for the defence of the Suez Canal, which led to India. Britain didn't fear that the canal would be taken over the Ottomans, who were now a spent force. What they did fear was that the canal would be taken over by the Russians, who might conceivably break out into the Mediterranean if the Turkish Empire crumbled any further. Everyone's heard of the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. But there was also a much older and more long-standing rivalry, quite similar in nature, between the British and the Russian empires. The logic of empire also meant that Britain wasn't able to extend the same democratic rights that its own people enjoyed to many of its subject peoples. Not unless they were primarily of British stock themselves, such as the colonists of New Zealand. New Zealand, added to the empire in 1840, gained responsible self-government in 1852 and even saw the back of the last British army soldier to be garrisoned in New Zealand as early as 1870. Thereafter, the New Zealanders were pretty much responsive for their own affairs, though the country continued to be called a colony until 1907. The transition to more formal independence was smooth, so much so that to this day no one can agree precisely on the date on which New Zealand became independent from Britain. Cyprus, on the other hand, never knew responsible self-government under British rule, from 1878 right through to independence in 1960. And that was despite the fact that its population was mostly Greek, the people who were supposed to have invented modern democracy in the first place. Ah but you see, one can imagine Sir Humphrey Appleby patiently explaining, in some episode of Yes, Minister. The mostly British-descended population of New Zealand could be trusted not to vote to turn Auckland into a Russian naval base. On the other hand, the Greeks of recent centuries have strong sentimental ties to Russia in the form of a similar religion, a similar alphabet and even a similar national iconography of a double-headed imperial eagle and St. George and the Dragon. Their similarity speaks of a shared heritage derived from the former Byzantine or Eastern Roman Empire, of which these are also symbols. The Eastern Roman Empire, mostly Greek-speaking, sent missionaries and teachers into early Russia for centuries, spreading the Eastern Orthodox religion and a system of writing similar to the Greek one. Even though it was never actually colonized by ancient Rome, Russia thus claims to be culturally descended from Eastern Roman, 
Greek Christian civilization in the same way that most Western European countries and even the countries of Latin America claim some degree of descent from the western part of the Roman Empire. So close are the ties between Russia and Greece that the first leader of an independent Greece in the early 19th century, Ioannis K. Podistrias, had previously served as Russia's foreign minister. Of course, not allowing self-rule invited revolt, the very opposite of the situation in a New Zealand-type colony where progress toward independence was smooth. This was the cleft stick in which Britain ultimately found itself in Cyprus and other colonies that it kept on a short leash because the locals were not trusted to govern themselves in a pro-British sort of a way. On Cyprus, the revolt took the form of ever more forceful agitation among the Greek majority for Enosis. The supporters of Enosis engaged in sabotage from at least 1931 onward. From 1955 until 1960 they were in a shooting war with British forces who dubbed Nicosia's main thoroughfare, Lydra Street, the Murder Mile. The British eventually withdrew from most of Cyprus. Yet in the face of Turkish objections, both on the island and in Turkey itself, the cause of Enosis also failed. Instead, the Greek Cypriots had independence thrust upon them in the form of the Republic of Cyprus, under the leadership of its first president, Archbishop Makarios III. The Archbishop ruled as president until his death in 1977. And so, Cyprus did achieve self-rule at long last. On the other hand, Cyprus's independence was also limited by the external powers that still had a stake in the island. Turkey was worried about a future vote for Enosis. Greece was worried about Turkish designs on the island. And Britain was worried about a future Cypriot government cozying up one day to the Soviet Union successor to Britain's old adversary the Russian Empire and even more menacing to the West, as it seemed. And so, under the treaty by which it became independent, the island was henceforth to be garrisoned by a small, balanced force of Greek and Turkish troops, and by a much larger number of British troops. Britain was to hang on to two sizable bases in the south, Akrotiri and Akelia, also known as the Special Base Areas, over which the Republic of Cyprus was to have no jurisdiction. Under the treaty by which the Republic was established in 1960, Britain was also to operate some smaller military bases and installations on the territory of the Republic, known as retained sites. In short, Cyprus was to remain firmly between the jaws of the British bulldog, with the assistance of Greece and Turkey. The other great issue for the island as a frontline state today is its division between a now almost monoethnically Greek Republic of Cyprus and the equally homogeneous Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus. This division was created in 1974, when Turkey invaded Cyprus for the second time since 1570. The Turkish invasion of 1974 followed a coup on Cyprus by supporters of Enosis who were in league with the right-wing military dictatorship ruling Greece at the time. This time, Turkey took over the northern part of the island but left the south alone. The Greek Cypriot coup plotters, whose plans had been ruined by the invasion, soon fell from power. So too did the dictatorship in Greece, to be replaced by Democrats who sought improved relations with Turkey ahead of Enosis. All the same, the Turks didn't declare victory and go home. Instead, they stayed. If Enosis had been a long-standing goal among the Greeks, the Turks had, since the 1950s, sought a partition of the island. A partition which they called Taksim. Earlier, Turkey had sought the return of the whole island. But that was unrealistic. On the other hand, Taksim was something that could really happen. After the invasion, 
the formerly more mixed population of Cyprus was rearranged so that the territories still controlled by the Republic of Cyprus (ROC) became almost monoethnically Greek, and the area controlled by the Turks almost monoethnically Turkish. Both sides collaborated in this population exchange by harassing the folk from the other community. In short, Taksim was now a fact. In 1983 the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, TRNC, was proclaimed in order to give a constitutional face to Taksim. The TRNC is often referred to as Northern Cyprus for short, it being taken as read that it's the Turkish bit now. These days, Northern Cyprus is garrisoned by large numbers of Turkish troops, more numerous than the force provided for in the 1960 treaty. Still, outside Northern Cyprus, the breakaway republic's independence from the ROC is only recognized by Turkey, and Northern Cyprus is subject to international economic sanctions. The British have a few retained sites in Northern Cyprus. These have been abandoned, however, because Britain doesn't recognize the TRNC and won't deal with it. The Turks are often represented as the bad guys for invading. But it's more complicated than that. For one thing, a gnosis would probably have happened otherwise, in ways that would have propped up the dictatorships then in power in Greece and on Cyprus. This would have set back the cause of democracy among the Greeks for some years. It might even have created a dangerous situation for the whole of the Turkish Muslim minority. I recall a story told by the father of a friend of mine who comes from a Turkish Cypriot family living in London. My friend's father describes how he was forced to dig a grave by supporters of Anosis during the 1974 coup, and only avoided helping to fill it because the mainland Turks showed up in the nick of time. On the other hand, war crimes and battle casualties that wouldn't have happened otherwise also took place during the invasion. Basically, it was a bad business. Today, there is a United Nations buffer zone between the TRNC and the part still fully controlled by the Republic of Cyprus. Regions which are also separated by physical barriers and, in the southeast, by Dekelia. In most places the buffer zone is quite wide. There's only one place where you can straddle the border between northern Cyprus and territory fully controlled by the Republic of Cyprus, one leg on one side and the other leg on the other. This is at a village called Strovilia. Elsewhere. Quite a few Cypriots live and farm inside the buffer zone, which is as peaceful as the eye of a hurricane. The buffer zone is ethnically mixed, in ways that reflect the way the rest of Cyprus was before the 1974 invasion. The four biggest cities in Cyprus are known in English as Nicosia, Limassol, Larnaca, and Famagusta, the last of which is in northern Cyprus and is known there as Gazima Yusa. Nicosia, also known as Lefkosia in Greek and Lefkosa in Turkish, is the capital of the island. However, since 1974, Nicosia has been a divided city. In the heart of Nicosia there is an old walled city with perfectly symmetrical Venetian fortifications all round. The modern barrier between the ROC-controlled and Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus areas runs through the middle of the walled city, so that it is doubly walled. Each side claims Nicosia as its capital and maintains the institutions of government in the half that it controls. The current population of Cyprus is close to 1.2 million, of whom roughly two-thirds live in the ROC-controlled area and one-third in northern Cyprus. The northern Cyprus population includes a sizable number of settlers from mainland Turkey whose right to settle is, once more, recognized by the de facto government of northern Cyprus, but not by the ROC. In the face of sanctions, northern Cyprus is somewhat underdeveloped. On the other hand, the territory controlled by the ROC is quite prosperous these days, its level of development comparable to countries like New Zealand or Italy. 
Although this is good news, the lagging development of the North has probably accentuated the divide.